there is some rather interesting things about this Acts chapter 17 sermon. It's quite a bit different uh, than the other ones that we've gone through so far. And in fact, the context and the scenario itself is a little different. And it, and it throws in kind of at the end of our reading here in Acts chapter 17 some kind of just interesting tidbits for us to know. So it, it mentions Dionysius, who uh, many people believe to be one of the first bishops of the church at Corinth, uh, probably after all of the bad stuff happened at Corinth. Uh, so he, he came along and was an important figure in the early church and, and wrote a lot. And, and we hear of the conversion of Damaris. And not the same Damaris uh, that we have among us. But, but Damaris, an important uh, female leader even within the church as well. But uh, one thing that also makes it stick out is uh, the approach that Paul has in speaking to the people there in Athens and also what it is he chooses to say to them, what it is the message that he brings to them. So far, a lot of the sermons that we've listened to coming out of Acts have dealt with the unity, that is, uh, Christ has come not just for these people or these people, but he's come for everybody. Uh, we've heard of his description of the person of Christ and, and the importance of that to the forgiveness of sins. Paul finds himself in a town and on a hill filled with people who are uh, interested in talking about all the new things that have come about in the world. That is all the new ideas that are put forward and the new technologies, uh, the ways in which they are progressing as a society and as a world. And as they're describing and talking about these things, they're meeting among their different gods. So you have your, your God of wine over here and your God of wisdom and truth and your God of uh, this city and that city. And here they are, uh, as they are talking and describing, coming up even with their own new gods. Because as society progresses, the one thing that we've learned is new gods always appear. This sounds a little familiar to us because I believe this description in Acts chapter 17 is a perfect description of where we find ourselves today. That here we are in Seattle, highly educated city, where we discuss all the new things that there are to discuss. And when there aren't new things to discuss, we create and make those new things. It's not the Seattle of old. It's a new Seattle. And whether we want to protest about that or not, it's among us. And it's here. So this picture of Acts chapter 17, of Paul on Mars Hill, at the area, I can't even say it, Areagapis. Thank you. It's a picture of you in your very own city, in the place that God has called you now. Let us continue and to think not just about that context that you are placed in or the context that Paul found himself in, but what is it that he chose to bring as a message to these highly religious people? 
That is, people who find many different gods and worship them reverently and rightly in their own ways. The summary of his sermon can come to us in these simple lines that are in the middle of it. As he's describing the fact that God is the one who has created and made all things, the very God who has breathed life into all of us and made the dirt and the animals and you as well. He's doing this in comparison to all the gods that the Athenians have created. Now, something about those gods is that they are always far off and they are distant. The gods of the pagans are ones that after that they have been made, they step back. Their care is not for the world or the place and time, only for themselves as their own God. And the only time they care to muddle in your business or the business of the world is when it has something to do with them. So the Athenians are used to gods that they have to chase, gods that they have to find, and gods that they have to make. And once they are, they go about their distance. Paul brings a message of a different God. Yes, maybe the unknown God that has this throne in this temple, but who Paul talks about being far greater and above and beyond that temple but not distant. A God who has come into this world. A God who has come to be with them. All these people who have nothing to do with Him, God is not far from them. So he says, yet He is actually not far from each one of us. He's not far from each one of us. In Him we live and we move and we have our being. This would be the good news. That your God has come to you. And it's the same God who has made you. And it is now the same God that you have all that you are in. Your breath, your life, your thoughts, your personality, the way you live. All of that is found in Him. He is not far off. Maybe this isn't news to you. Hopefully it shouldn't be. I mean, after all, we just confessed right before this that we believe in a God who is maker of heaven and earth. And if you remember very well, as I am sure you do in catechism, you had to memorize that. And you had to memorize this very simple explanation which I am going to painfully make you say out loud <laughs> as if you were back in confirmation. Please join me. I believe that God has made me and all creatures, that he has given me my body and soul, eyes and ears, and all my members, my reason and all my senses, and still takes care of them. He defends me against all danger and guards and protects me from all evil. Right? This is bringing back some memories, I am sure of it. 
but a great understanding of who our God is. From a very early age, we started singing Children of the Heavenly Father to our kids, just so that they know no matter what kind of mistakes these parents of theirs make, they have a true Father who knows everything about them and is with them. Paul, in the midst of people who believe their reason to be the utmost, who find creativity in making their own gods, and who even make a living out of chasing different gods, he tells them you, have to, you don't have to run anymore. You don't have to keep journeying. You don't have to keep chasing. It isn't really about the journey itself. You have a God who is with you, the very God who has made you, the God who has called you, the God who loves you. We find ourselves oftentimes being like the Athenians and being like Seattleites. We often wonder if our God is close to us or not. After a, an immense tragedy hits our own nation, our own population, we ask that same question, where is our God? If once a tragedy happens in your own life, in a very personal way, you've lost that job and you wonder, where was he at in all of this? You lost your loved one, your husband or your wife. Where was he? Why couldn't he keep them breathing? We become like the pagans in Athens, chasing after that God. But our God is always where he's been the whole time, with you. He's the kind of God that when disaster hits, he doesn't point the finger at somebody else, but he remains right there beside you. He's the one who stood next to you at the grave. He's the one who was there in the midst of tragedy. He's shown us this in his son as he comes into the very world who seems to be obsessed with creating tragedy for itself. He's the kind of God that never leaves. He's the one who sticks to the promises that he has made. Some of our neighbors and even us ourselves ask that question and wonder, but we also fall into a different kind of temptation with this where we really would rather just be on a journey finding a God that meets the needs that we believe we have. We love the idea of having a God near us, but, but maybe not a God that talks too much, that wouldn't really have something to say about the way I live my life, about the way I practice in my love, in my judgments, in my finances. We'd much rather have a God that maybe we could create and, and maybe he could just stay in that little section that we have set out for him. I wouldn't mind having a God of wine, just as long as he stays with his wine. I wouldn't mind having a God of finance as long as that God brought me finance. <laughs> Our 
I wouldn't mind having a god of sex as long as he didn't talk about it. This is a very dangerous thing. It's what the Athenians fell into all their time, and all it did was make them stand around and try and find out what's new. Because they could never find anything to actually bring them fulfillment and life. But here we have a God who is close to us, who is not only with us when we feel fulfilled, but winneth us when we are wandering and we are doubting. One that when we leave the reservation, when we walk out of this building, doesn't stop walking with us. Paul gives testimony to this in the midst of Mars Hill in Athens. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and we move and we have all of our being. And it's for that very purpose that he spoke. Many ministers, many pastors look to Acts chapter 17 and the way Paul speaks about God as one of the prime examples of the way the Christian is in the world. Notice as Paul comes among those who find themselves to be the brightest and the smartest, the most advanced and progressive that that culture has to offer, and maybe even the most religious zealots that are around. His words do not come in anger. But rather, his words come in identifying with them. Men of Athens, I see that you are very religious people. I was meeting with somebody who was uh, thinking about starting ministry here in Seattle a couple weeks ago. And afterwards, we, we had a good meeting, and afterwards we started to pray for one another. And this person prayed for uh, us doing ministry in a city that is very hostile to who we are. And it stuck with me, because at times, maybe it certainly feels that way. But it only feels that way when I forget that even the pagans are religious. That even those who hate us are religious. Paul went somewhere where no one else would go to preach the gospel and called them just that and opened up his mouth and began to speak of grace. I bring this up to you because we are in a time where opening up our mouth may seem hard and it may seem difficult to share the truth of our gospel. It's easy to fall for distractions and want to talk about things other than Jesus, but now is the time that we actually talk the most about him. Last summer we had our district convention and the theme of that district convention was from the book of Esther. And this is one of the very reasons we named our daughter after Esther, is from this section. It's where uh, Mordecai is speaking and he's talking about Esther and he says, for if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your, house, your father's house will perish. And who knows? 
whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Paul, in standing up in Athens, could say the same thing. If it was not him to speak, the Lord will find somebody else. But really it is to say, who is not to say that you have been called to be there in Athens at this time and to speak the gospel in its truth? And so I speak to you as people who are in the Athens of today. Who is not to say that you have been born to this kingdom for such a time as this? Who is not to say that the story that you have in Jesus Christ is one that is not worth sharing? That all the wonders of God that He has done for you, knowing you by your name, staying with you in your tragedy, redeeming you out of the death that you were bound towards, how is it not worth sharing now? For you have been born to this kingdom at a time like this. So we leave here and we address Seattle. I see that you are very religious people. There's a famous story about a, a saint, uh, John Chrysostom, of the Eastern Church. And he came to a time of great corruption, both in the church and in the civil realm. And hearing these words out of Scripture, and the boldness of the apostles, he stood in his pulpit and he began to address them with great risk of life, great risk of financial ruin, and he spoke. This is a rather famous painting of the interaction that he had from his pulpit as he spoke to the empress of the Eastern Roman Empire. The thing about John Chrysostom is that, yes, he was having to speak very boldly and bluntly of the gospel to those that were in power, but what they found is that the church, in hearing his words, rose up behind him. After finally hearing the gospel and the strength that it delivered of a God who never left that church, that they started to stand boldly for their faith once again. Who is to say that you were not born to this kingdom at a time like this? God is not far from you. As he was not far from Paul or for the Athenians, and as he's not far from every Seattleite that's outside of these doors. And that very message gives us the strength and power of God to share what it is that we know. And what you know is everything that God has done for you. That not only has he died for you, not only has he risen for you, but he has never left you. Amen?